I was born um, in Yorkshire, from what I understand. Um, but I was brought up ma mainly in Scotland because my dad was in the army and he settled up there. Um, I have a brother and a sister, and um, and so yeah, so we were brought up in Scotland. And from my early days, I remember my dad was quite bullish and controlling. So there was a lot of fear, from what I remember. And one particular incident was when we went to the beach. Not the happiest beach day in that my mum and dad argued. And my mum, who couldn't drive, drove the car, crashed. And that was my first ever moment of feeling fear to the level of not knowing how to deal with it. And I remember hiding myself in the footwell of the back seat of the car just because no one was looking after us, you see, because mum and dad were fighting, there was an accident and all chaos had broken loose and us kids at the back weren't kind of being looked after. So that was one of my first real memories, if you like. And um, yeah, I remember an occasion as well, my dad throwing stuff, hitting the wall, um, dinner going everywhere. So he wasn't what I remember as overly violent. There was just a few moments where I remember that kind of thing, but he was very controlling and particular. And my mum was very more quiet, I think. And um, they separated and um, my dad moved away and, and my mum brought the three of us up um, on her own um, for the most part. I think we were around, well, I think I was around four, five, six-ish. And um, things seemed to settle down. Again, we were still in Scotland. And then my mum met with this chap. Um, I still can't say his name. Um, but he moved in with us and he became her partner. And um, and um, at some point he started sexually abusing me and my sister and um, and it kind of went on for some time and that was the first time I'd ever tasted alcohol and it was vodka and he used it just to soften us up and stuff like that and I guess that was something that was most difficult for me because I blamed myself because of some of my behaviour, being drunk, um, seemed to almost give him the okay to behave the way he behaved. But I know today that that was completely unacceptable, both the alcohol and the sexual abuse, and none of it was my fault. But I only know that through my recovery and everything. So um, this went on, I think approximately from about age eight to roughly 12. And, um, my, um, I did try and tell my mum, or through my little brother, I tried to tell my mum, and the excuse that this man gave was that he was washing me in the bar, in the, in, in the um, sink, in the kitchen, and his hand slipped. And my mum seemed to believe him because nothing happened and he didn't get kicked out and stuff like that. So I think my trust in my mum kind of went a bit. And again, there was that feeling of being in the car again, of not being looked after and having to look after myself to survive. Part of me felt as if I didn't belong in the family as well. I don't know how to describe it, but I just felt I didn't quite fit in. Um, and so I discovered a friend, at, a friend at school took me to a church that she went to. It was a Pentecostal church in Whitburn in Scotland. And for me, that was a bit of an oasis. I could go there and hide away. And it was my place. None of my family were involved. No one I knew was there. It was all very new. 
But then I realised um, that there was something not quite right about me because when I got upset, which was quite frequent, someone would try and speak to me and I would just freeze inside. I'd, just, I'd have this verbal stuff going on in my head, but I couldn't speak it out. So I'd try and tell someone what was going on for me, but it just wouldn't come out. I'd freeze, just completely and utterly freeze. I moved down to London and kind of started afresh. And I did a lot of temporary work, so I built up my experience in office work and secretarial stuff quite quickly. Um, and um, I met this chap who was to become my husband. I never got over that feeling of being less than, feeling that I wasn't good enough for him. And I just, that's when my eating disorder kicked off. That's when I started binging and um, purging, so binging and vomiting. And it was every day. Um, and it wasn't just the bulimic, I was anorexic as well. Um, so within about four years of knowing this man, we'd moved in together. I was still working, okay. Um, but my anorexia had gotten so bad that I was in such a lot of pain and I tried to commit suicide. I used alcohol and pills. And as soon as I'd done it, I kind of panicked. I kind of realized I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to carry on. Um, and so I told him and he got the ambulance and I refused to go. So I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And because my weight was so low, it was um, under seven stone. It was six and a half or something like that. They put me in, I, I ended up three months in the Bethlehem Royal. Um, but it didn't really work for me because they kind of fed me up and kicked me out. There was no real therapy, no real treatment. There was no education around food, how you eat, how it all works and stuff like that. So I kind of ended up worse mentally after I came out. So I've come out of the hospital um, to find out that my partner was having an affair. Um, so, <clears throat> so yeah, so we went through a very difficult patch, but we did get back together. Um, and because of all the, the harm I did with my anorexia, my bulimia and the throwing up, which was still happening, but to a lower degree, um, I'd caused a lot of damage on my body and was told I wouldn't be able to have children. So we didn't use contraception for a couple of years. And then one, one time I found out I was pregnant. Um, I think that from coming out of the treatment center for the eating disorder up to this point, drinking had started to come in, but on a quite a low level. It was um, sociable, at times extreme, but not overly chaotic. Um, but I think it was starting to become something that my mind had clicked that actually kind of changes the way I feel a bit. But, um, but we, got, we got married when I was about four or five months pregnant and, um, and I had my son, he was born in the September. And then I found out I was pregnant um, again, I think in the March um, after that. So it was only about eight or nine months later. And, um, and yeah, so this is kind of where life takes a bit of a tricky turn because at 13 weeks pregnant, I started bleeding and I went into hospital and I was losing hideous amounts of blood and I was actually hemorrhaging big blood clots and they thought a number of times that I'd lost this baby but she was pretty stubborn and she kept staying in place. Being in that hospital bed and being so powerless about the whole situation um, 
I was still binging and vomiting. And I share that because that is the power of the illness of what I have. Um, to be in such a difficult situation and to be behaving like that, you know. And, um, and she, she died during the labour and she was just about a pound or so. It was about 28 weeks um, pregnancy. And it was probably one of the saddest things I've ever experienced, ever. And um, it's only in seven years in sobriety that I started to, to grieve the loss of this child. I started drinking every day from then on and um, the anorexia and bulimia just went for it as well and the smoking, you know, minimum 40 a day. So it was, you know, hell had broken loose with me basically. And I think I'd started self-harming at the time as well. So basically I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and so these, these were the tools that I was using to deal with it. For the next five years, it just got more chaotic and more unmanageable. I somehow managed to develop a career. I, I just, the drinking just got ridiculous and the anorexia and bulimia got really bad as well. And I ended up um, burning my esophagus because of the damage it was causing with the acid and everything. Towards, uh, f so about five years of that, everyday drinking, four or five bottles of wine a night, it was absolute chaos. I just wasn't there as a parent for my son, Taylor. When I first came home from the hospital, I couldn't even look at him. Even for the first couple of years, I just couldn't cope with this child. Fear of seeing him sleeping in case he was dead. It was just horrific. Um, but having been a Christian in the past, I knew that I was on a downward spiral and that I was practically killing myself. And so about five years into all this utter chaos, um, I kind of felt as if God was kind of tapping on my shoulder saying, I'm still here just need to turn around and something inside me clicked I mean nothing changed about my behavior but something clicked in that okay if I've got to, if I'm going to get out of this and I'm in serious trouble here I can't do it on my own I don't know how I knew it I just did um, and so I started looking for a church and I found a church and I joined it and I left my husband because I didn't think I could get well with him I took my son with me, and he was five or six at the time, but the other thing I've had to really look at in recovery is I didn't take my son because I wanted to be mum of the year. I took him because I didn't want to be on my own. And despite taking him with me, he got in the way of my drinking in the end, and I, I used to put him to bed at ridiculous hours, you know, and um, I made sure he got on, got to school on time and stuff like that, only so I could go home and collapse again, because I just didn't have the energy to deal with him at all. So even though he was with me, he was a nervous wreck. He was an absolute mess of a child. It was it's horrible to think about it now. So when I left my husband and I joined this church, um, I recommitted my life to Christ um, in the February. And then we went to New Wine, my son and I went to New Wine in the July. And I had this kind of kingdom experience where I felt like God had just gone in and started pulling out, literally starting to pull out all this toxic shit. And I was like, find myself screaming. I, you know, I just didn't do emotions. And suddenly I'm in tears, I'm in bits. I could feel all this stuff getting dragged out and I was screaming. 
And, and I believe at that moment, that was God's first real moment of saying, Jen, it's okay. You know, this is, you know, we talk about the Pandora's box and you fear that once you open it, everything's just going to explode. Um, well, believe it or not, I was sitting in a temp tent of thousands of people with all this going on and I wasn't afraid. It just felt this is the beginning of my recovery. On the 18th of August, I had my last drink. And again, I believe that was down to God's presence. Um, and I felt like God was saying, it's okay, you can, you know, you can let go now. Because I was at that point where I couldn't not drink, but I couldn't drink another drop. So I kind of didn't know where to go with it. I was just at the end. And I knew I couldn't kill myself because I was a child of God. You know, I'd taken Christ into my life and that wasn't an option for me anymore. And so the only option I had left was to trust. And I found out about AA, I don't know how I found out, but um, after two weeks after my last drink, I started going to AA. And, um, and so yeah, so that started my recovery in AA. And my eating didn't kind of get any better to start with. Um, but because I worked through my recovery with AA, um, it kind of gave me a starting point because when you, when you're drinking, when I was drinking, I couldn't do anything else. All, you know, everything else was impossible because I was so intoxicated, I couldn't think and couldn't do stuff. But when I put the alcohol down and I started dealing with some of the issues, even though I was still um, using the food and slightly self-harming, it, it wasn't with knives and stuff, um, I was still able to deal with some of the issues. But it wasn't until um, I came to the recovery course. I think I was about four years sober. And it was because I tried OA, I tried other forms of treatment. I tried a, a day clinic for my eating disorder. Nothing was working at all. And so I felt that I wanted to try the 12 steps, but through Christ, and that's, I'd heard about the recovery course. I mean, it was really slow. Um, but it was only through the recovery course and the work I'd done there that I started to make some headway with that. And I realised today it's not actually about the food, it was about me and the way I feel. And one of the biggest things I've learned in recovery that one of the reasons why I used all this stuff was because there's something about the way I'm wired. I, I don't react and behave in the way a lot of normal people do. The way I react to things that happen around me is very different and that's why I end up picking up things like food and alcohol. Today I've got a life that I never dreamed I could have. You know, I've been on my own for nearly 10 years. I didn't think I could live on my own. I needed people to be able to live and stuff. I didn't and I don't. My son is a completely different person. He's 15 years old and I let him be a teenager today, you know? Um, and, and I'm doing things today that I would never have dreamt. I didn't think I could do the things that I'm doing today, but I can only do these things to try to keep well. The minute I start picking up or acting out, I start to lose it all. So it's about learning to love yourself um, and just doing the best that you can do, just one day at a time. I think that's the core message is, you know what? I used to try and live all of my yesterdays today and everything that I thought was going to happen and it was all doom and gloom. There was never anything going to be good for me. And I used to live it all in one moment all the time. It was all churning up and churning up. Today I just kind of let it go. And, it's, and, and it sounds easy to say that, it's not. 
because I've got situations going on at the moment. And this is the amazing thing is life is still happening. You know, it hasn't been fairy tales. It's been a rough ride. But because I keep myself in the moment and I trust, I have this, one of the amazing things that I've developed is that overwhelming faith in God because he hasn't let me down. You know, I was threatened with homelessness. I had to go through bankruptcy. I've never had a day without a roof over my head. I've never gone a day without food that I've needed. I've been looked after. So all I need to do is just keep doing what I feel is right within my program and stay close to God and to speak to people that I trust because it's sharing this stuff. And one of the things that we say in recovery courses, you're only sick as your secrets. And actually that is really true because in my experience that's true.